introduce our friend Caleb, who's been making a lot of these videos. Caleb, you need to stand up. This is so great, and our friend Luke also makes a lot of videos for us, too. Is Luke around still? Oh, I just embarrassed him. Yeah. He stepped out. All right, cool. <laughs> Luke, who also plays drums, he makes a lot of the videos, too. And let me just take a second to say this real quick. What What is your gift? What are the, what's the thing that you're passionate about, the thing that God has placed in your heart um, that, that you dream about, that you spend free time thinking about, that you spend free time doing? What is it that you're passionate about? God gives each of us passions. We're created in beautifully unique ways. And all of us have gifts to offer. Okay? All of us have gifts to offer. So just let that question sit on you. What is your gift? What is your passion? What has God placed in your heart? And how can you give that away for the sake of time? All right? Um, yeah. And if it's something that is like burning in you, something you've been wanting to do, God's placed that there for a reason. Okay? So listen to that. Follow that. And begin to give that away. And you'll be amazed at the way God uses what he's placed in your heart. The way that he uses these passions, the things that you love to do anyway. The way that he uses that to bring glory to him. So whatever that is, start to dream about how you can give that away. All right? And we will all be grateful for that. Cool. There are some things that are timeless. They, they make an impact on culture in such a way that the impact never fades away. And they continue to be fresh. They continue to be new. It's not just kind of a flash of something, but it continues to make this impact. And, and you get this sense about it that this is something that is timeless, that will last. The influence will keep rolling out for years well, actually, Love Chapel staff made a Harlem Shake video for you guys real quick. No, I'm just kidding about it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ah, there you go. We are not doing that, okay? Um, if you've been wondering, like, okay, if you're wondering what the Harlem Shake videos are that we're talking about, then be grateful that you don't know, okay? Um, and just keep it that way. It's all right. Um, if, on the other hand, you know what they are and you've been wondering, like, how long is this going to last? When is this going to die? Well, I have good news for you, okay? Because uh, this week I received a text from a family member, my sister-in-law, that let me know that some of our family uh, put together one of these videos featuring my father-in-law. And that is the moment that the Harlem Shake is dead. All right? <laughs> It is now over, okay? So, in case you're wondering, that is the moment. <laughs> but there are things that are timeless, right? The, the impact continues on. It's not just kind of this flash of something. But in fact, as the years pass, as the generations pass, as time rolls on, the impact of this is felt more and more and realized even more and more. What we're, what we're studying here through the season of Lent this time that is set aside and, and intentionally set aside to focus on prayer and fasting, what we're doing through this season is we are learning to pray from Jesus himself. This is one of these timeless things that as the generations pass, the, the layers of depth 
continue to be added to it as we get deeper and deeper in the understanding of what this is, of what we've been exposed to here from the heart of Jesus, from through the words of Jesus, as Jesus himself, God himself, teaches us what it means to pray, teaches us how to pray. And all of our ideas, all of our opinions, all of our observations about what prayer is and what it means and all of these things, they go silent at this moment when Jesus opens his mouth and he says to his disciples and he says to the people there during the Sermon on the Mount, this then is how you should pray. And Jesus lays out this framework for what it means to enter into the mystery of prayer. And he offers us this compass and he says, I myself will be your guide and lead you down a trail that I have blazed myself. Follow me into what it means into navigating into exploring the mystery of prayer. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The model prayer from Jesus himself. At a time where people are obsessed with praying prayers that win them attention, Jesus prays this simple prayer that strikes right at the heart of what it means to have a heart that is in this movement of communication with God. And he invites us into that as well. So last week we talked about this this beautiful idea of the way Jesus begins this prayer, the foundational prayer piece of this prayer that the rest of it flows out of and not just this prayer but our full understanding of prayer itself flows out of this beginning statement out of this opening address in the prayer when Jesus says our father our father hammering away throughout the gospels the idea that that God is his father and now we're invited into this family relationship with him into this relationship of intimacy of trust Our Father, he says. And out of everything else that we understand about prayer flows out of this. Now we can ask because we know that we can trust him. We know that he has our best at heart for us. We know that his word is good. We know that he is protective of us. We know that he will stand by us. We know that his will for us is what is best for us. And so we pray out of trust. Our Father, beginning with a point of intimacy. Then he moves into this uh, idea of where God is. He says, our Father in heaven. But we know, as we talked about last week, the understanding here is not just God is in some far off place. The understanding behind what is said here is our Father who fills the heavens and the earth. Our God who fills everything, who is so high that he is beyond the reach of existence as we know it and the God who is so close he is as close as the air we breathe as the air in our lungs he is within us he fills everything this is who we're talking about our God who is so high and yet so close with us at the same time hallowed be your name may your name be honored as holy 
you are so high and holy and may your name be honored as holy not just in the way that your name leaves our lips but more importantly in the way that we carry your name as we live out our lives in these acts of ongoing worship in the way that we live our lives are our liturgy this is our act of worship life in christ help us to carry your name in a way that brings honor to it in a way that honors the holiness of it. And even though God is so incredibly holy beyond our imagination, the holiness of God does not distance us from the intimacy of God as Father. And the intimacy of God as Father does not erode away the holiness of God Almighty. They're both intertwined and at work at the same time. This is how Jesus begins the prayer. And today we're going to look at the next Uh, A couple of lines in the prayer of what Jesus says. Coming out of that introduction and out of that introductory address in the prayer. So the next thing that Jesus says is this. The next thing Jesus tells us to pray is to pray, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an incredible thing. Jesus instructs us to pray for the realization of God's kingdom on earth. That we should pray that God's kingdom would come here. And he tells us that the kingdom of God is not just some far off thing that we hope for sometime after this life passes. But he says pray that the kingdom of God would break into this world now through your life right now the kingdom of god is not something just far off but it is here and now what we're talking about when we when we refer to the kingdom of god we mean the reign of god the reign of god now israel was hoping for this israel was looking for this moment okay all throughout their history they're waiting for the moment now when god restores the kingdom of israel When the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the anointed leader of God comes and restores things to its rightful place. And so they're looking for this. And they believe that when the Messiah comes, that's when the kingdom of God is going to be established again through Israel. And they're watching for this. And so they're watching with an eye on the political capital, waiting for the moment when the Messiah rolls into the city, right? And overthrows the enemies and overthrows the occupying power and, re- and, and takes the place again, reclaims that rightful place of power and restores the kingdom of God. This is what they're hoping for. They're waiting for this moment where the seat of power in the capital city will institute the kingdom of God in this top down kind of move, instituting the kingdom of God out of the capital. Okay, this is what they're hoping for. But when Jesus comes along, he begins to tell them that the kingdom of God will not come like that. He says the kingdom of God does not come like that. And in fact, he tells some of the religious leaders in the book of Luke. He says, don't believe it when people say over here is the kingdom and over there is the kingdom. Why? He says, because the kingdom is not over there or over here. The kingdom of God, he says, is within you. 
The kingdom of God is within you. Now, this shifts the whole balance of the entire picture because instead now of waiting for the people in power, the people who should be doing the right thing to be the ones to institute the kingdom of God, all of a sudden the responsibility is shifted and turned back towards us now, right? And God says, don't look for the kingdom of God out there. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus says. And now he instructs us to pray that the kingdom of God would come. The kingdom of God is within you and pray that the kingdom of God would come. When we put these two thoughts together and we realize the bigger picture of what Jesus is pointing to here, then we understand the challenge and the charge that Jesus is giving us. And he says, let God empower you to be the answer to this prayer. The kingdom of God is in you. Pray that the kingdom would come. Let God empower you to see the kingdom of God escape from you. Escape from your life out into the world. The kingdom of God is in motion. It is on the move. It is rolling out with every step that you take. The rising of the kingdom of God will not be a top-down institution. It will not happen like that, Jesus says. Instead, he says, it is happening now. It is happening now. The balance has shifted. This is a grassroots, bottom-up kind of movement, and it will begin to spring up in places you were not expecting. That is how the kingdom comes. That is how the kingdom works. It starts in you. The kingdom is not a far-off place. The kingdom, in the words of Jesus, is at hand it is at hand it is here and now it is upon us it is within us and when we pray your kingdom come then we pray that god would help us to become the answer to that prayer and let the kingdom escape out of our lives and into the world what does this look like for you what does this look like in your own life How is this prayer going to be answered in your life? When you begin to pray it, when you begin to earnestly pray this, how will God start to answer this prayer through you? What will that look like? For us as a church here, here's something that we have said. We understand that there are kind of two things that are at work here. There's a vision for the future, and that's always important for us to have as people. It's so important for us to have a vision for the future, but there's something else that's at work, and it's the idea of the culture that is currently at play. Okay, now now look at this, okay? When we talk about vision for the future, normally we, we talk about this in very clear-cut language, right? And it's inspirational, and it's something that we can keep within a sentence. And it's like this kind of thing that is, that is pushing us to the future, making us look ahead. And it's very clear cut. The language is clear. When we talk about culture, that's something different. Because a lot of times with culture, we can't really put our finger on it. We can't really describe it in words a lot of times. But it is something that maybe we can't put into words. But it is something we can feel and it is something that we can see all around us. Right. And a vision is something about that we look forward to in the future. But so many times it is our current culture that pushes our daily decisions. 
Isn't that right? The culture is kind of the thing that really shapes us in the moment right now. It's the thing that is influencing us and pushing daily decisions. And so, in light of that, the truth of it is that culture actually trumps vision every time. It's the current culture that is going to drive the decisions that you are making. So as a church, we have prayed that God would help us to develop and to foster a culture that looks like the kingdom of God at hand, at work, right now, within us, escaping out of us. What that looks like for us, we say, is, first of all, the mark of intentional incarnation, which means we're not just about trying to get as many people coming through the door as possible, but instead we're about trying to engage our community and have us engaging the community the way that Jesus enters into our world. He doesn't just say, hey, come to me. Instead, Jesus comes to us and brings the good news of the gospel to us. We want to have that same posture and that same disposition as a church. We talk about the idea of reckless love, which means love that is willing to pay the cost, love that gives itself away. We talk about the idea of courageous generosity, Right, of being willing to give beyond our own strength, of putting our money where our mission is and letting that drive the decisions that we make. We talk about the idea of radical hospitality. Radical hospitality, and what we mean by that is this, that we want this to be a place where the outsiders are the insiders and the forgotten are the first thought, where the last get moved to the front of the line. And if you don't have a home anywhere else in this world, we want you to know that you have a home with us. And no one, no one belongs here more than you do. This is a place where you are the insider. No one belongs here more than you do. We believe, we say, the the last mark that we hold to is optimistic grace optimistic grace. What we mean by that is not just kind of this dreamy kind of idea, okay? But it's this idea that we believe that when grace and sin come head to head, that grace is the last one standing. We believe that grace has the power to overthrow sin, that Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ can reach every person. We believe in that, that no one is beyond the reach of the love of God. And so we try to declare that with everything we have and we try to act that out with everything that we have. We believe in that. We believe that grace has the power to reach. We've heard rumors about it, haven't we? We've heard these sermons and these songs and these stories all of our lives about how deep the love of God is. We want to be an experiment in grace, curious about how far this grace really can reach. And we want God to use us to be a part of that. What we say, so many times we say this, we say um, that we want this to be a logistical nightmare and a dream come true at the same time, right? That, that we're brought into situations where we don't really know how to handle them because we haven't been in that spot before. But that's exactly where we want to be, to have the grace of God pushing us beyond the boundaries that most people are willing to go to. That's what we want to have the culture of this church to be. Let that drive the decisions that we make and let that push us into the future. That is who we are. We say that is what it will look like when the kingdom begins to break into this world through us.
That's what it will look like when the, begin, when the kingdom begins to break through the world, through us. But what about for you? What about for you? Here's the deal and what Jesus says. We don't just look for it in our institutions. We don't just look for it in our leaders. We look for it within ourselves. The kingdom of God is within you, he says. So what will it look like for you when the kingdom begins to break in? We want to take a few minutes right now and just pause. And we want to create some space for prayer and for listening to how God is challenging us in this area. Okay? So many times we do not leave open space in our lives. If space comes open, we fill it. All right? Mainly, maybe some of us, we don't want things to catch up with us, right? We don't want thoughts to catch up with us that we've been trying to outrun. And so silence kind of, kind of scares us. Space kind of scares us. So we fill it with things. And if we're standing in line at the grocery store, we can't stand there for three seconds without pulling out our phone and having something to do, right? I'm completely guilty of that. But we're going to take a minute right now. No phones, nothing else, all right? Space for prayer. This is a dangerous thing. where We're going to open our hearts up and allow God to speak to us. Ask God what it would look like for the kingdom to break into the world through your life. And then listen to what he has to say. Jesus challenges us to pray that the kingdom will come, but he charges us with the responsibility of letting the kingdom escape into the world through our lives. If God has pressed something on your heart, if God has shown you what that looks like, then the challenge has just gone to a different level. And he's going to continue to give you opportunities to let that be real. I challenge you to let that be real. As Jesus continues with this prayer, he goes on to say, not just to pray that your kingdom will come, but also that your will will be done, that God's will will be done in our lives and in the world. There's a, a, a German theologian, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
And he said that the central aim of Christian prayer is to seek the kingdom of God and to surrender to the will of God. To seek the kingdom of God and to surrender to the will of God. And in this next phrase of the the great prayer of Jesus, once again, we're called into this moment of, of praying that God's will will be done. But also we're drawn into this act of surrender to that will surrender to his will now jesus as he's teaching here this comes within the 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 famous sermon on the mount so we can imagine jesus standing on the hillside teaching this and saying these beautiful words and saying you should pray that god's will would be done in the world and so we see jesus on that hillside teaching that but then we flash forward through the life of jesus and we come to the last night And we find Jesus not on a hillside surrounded by all of these followers who are amazed at his words and at his authority. But instead, we find Jesus by himself. And the disciples that had come to sit with him, they can't even stay awake while he's praying, right? They're asleep. And we find Jesus abandoned and by himself. And in this moment, he once again talks about what it means to pray Thy will be done. But but instead of talking about it and instead of teaching us, he shows us what it means. And we have this moment where Jesus prays that the cup would pass for him, pass from him, that what was coming to him, the Father would let pass by him. But then he but then he prays, but not my will, Father, your will be done. This is an incredible moment away from the safety of the hillside, instead in the shadow of the cross. And still, Jesus shows us what it really means to pray the prayer of surrender, that the will of the Father would be done in his life. There's a great quote from one of my favorite authors, Wendell Berry. He says, how do you pray thy will be done once you know what that means? How do you pray thy will be done once you know what it means? To pray your will be done is an act of profound surrender. It is an act of profound surrender. And once again, we see through the life of Jesus what it looks like to have your life lined up completely with the heart of the Father and to pray that his will be done above everything else. We don't just learn from Jesus what it looks like to pray. We also learn what it looks like to receive answers to prayer. And in this incredible moment, we see that Jesus himself feels the sting of no. Have you ever had a prayer that was answered with a no? I have. God always answers our prayers. Sometimes it's a yes Sometimes it's a wait, be patient, and sometimes it is a no. God does say no. And in this moment in Jesus' life in the garden, right before the cross, we see where Jesus feels the sting of no. But Jesus embraces the greater will of the Father instead because he understands that that no in that moment means for us a sweeping and eternal yes. For our redemption. What if God had said yes to Jesus in that moment? 
God's no to Jesus in that moment becomes our redemption as Jesus goes to the cross and pays the price for our sins, as Jesus is laid in the grave and wins ultimate victory for us in his resurrection. Jesus himself felt the sting of no. It's difficult for us, but we see in Jesus the model of ultimate surrender. And he shows us this is not about willpower. Obedience is not about willpower. It's about will surrender. It is a posture of the heart to trust in God's design and wisdom and goodness. Sometimes postures help us understand kind of how to practice prayer. We're kind of trying to to teach that a little bit to our boys right now. So I'm kind of trying to teach them a a little bit. And it's funny. So what they got right now when we say, can you pray, is they, they do this. All right. It's supposed to be this, but they're just going with this. All right. So I don't know what this is supposed to mean. All right. Okay. Grab your cheeks. All right. Now let's pray. Okay. (laughs) But postures can kind of teach us what it means. And Jesus shows us the ultimate posture of prayer is the posture of a surrendered heart. To pray from the depths of who we are, your will be done this is a dangerous prayer this is a dangerous prayer but we will find when we surrender to him when we surrender to him when our will is baptized then what is raised up is his perfect will for us his good will for us in that resurrection of our will And we find that it is worth it every time. Again, creating space to pray this. What about you? What is this going to look like for you? What are the places in your life where your will needs to be baptized? Where your will needs to be laid down and surrendered to his will? What is that going to look like for you? What are those decisions that you have been fighting on? What are the things in your life that you have been protecting from him because you're afraid of what will happen when they get into his hands? What are the goals and the dreams and the desires and the passions that you have that you are afraid to give over to him? What are you afraid of? Where do you need to surrender to the ultimate will of God? Let's take a few moments again, create this space, and allow him to press us probably in some very difficult areas. Create some space, and let's ask him what needs to be surrendered.
God, give us the courage to pray like you taught us to pray. Not to just pass by these words, but to understand the depth of them and the power that they have to completely reshape our lives. So we pray like you taught us to pray, and we say from the bottom of our hearts, your kingdom come. We believe that as believers in you, as followers of Jesus Christ, the kingdom is within us. The kingdom is within us. And so we don't just look for it as a far off thing, but we know it is right here, right now, at hand, upon us, within us. And we pray that you would show us how to let it escape into the world. Give us the courage to do what we need to do to see that happen. Whatever you pressed on our hearts as we were praying today, I pray you would keep bringing that back through the week. I pray you would keep that in front of us. Chase us down with that and help us to be the kingdom on the move in the world right now. Right now. Jesus, we follow your model, not just in the words that we say in this prayer, but in the posture of our hearts. And we pray your will be done in our lives. Give us the courage to trust you. Now that we know that you are a good and loving father and that your will is the very best for us, give us the courage to trust you in that, to trust your wisdom, to trust your design, to trust where you're leading us. Help us to pray with our entire lives, your will be done. And we understand that at times that will may seem cloudy for us. We might not know what that next step is. I've been in that place in my life. So many of us have been in that place. But I pray you would give us the courage to keep just taking the next step. To just keep taking the next step. Where you, where you move, help us to move. We don't have to see the whole picture. But help us to trust you in the next step. We love you. We surrender ourselves to you. And we pray that your kingdom would come. And that your will would be done in us and on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.